0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Coach's Corner You podcast. My name is Paul O'Need, I am your host and we do not count episode numbers because I will never keep track. I am joined by a good friend of mine and you know just a, a really interesting dude. His name is Ben Giannis. He's a nerd. He's a lifter. He's the owner of Modern Meathead. Uh, he's an educator who has really in the last couple of years exploded onto the scene and put forth a lot of A lot of really cool ideas, really cool concepts that have really gotten a lot of traction. So I'm I'm excited to talk to him about what he does, who he does it with, what his plans are for his business and kind of what he is looking to accomplish in this field. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining.
1: Thanks for having me Paul I'm very excited for this chat um you know we've had a we've had a good personal history and uh, mm-hmm. I was happy to get to see you in person a couple months ago hopefully you can slowly make your way back so we can have another uh, session or two in the city but until then I'll be waiting
0: Yeah New York City definitely grew on me and I mean more than just my waistline <laughs> <laughs> Yeah not a shocker Um so I was hoping that you know You could share a little bit about your background story because I I remember, man, I remember our first exchange. Uh, You know, we, I knew you through Stuart, through Prescript and, you know, we had had an exchange online about, I think it was something about a a post that you made, but this is back when you had like a couple thousand followers and just kind of getting started. You were still in your undergrad and you finished your undergrad, you've launched your own business and there's been a lot in between that, two-hour phone call on my drive to to Pittsburgh and now so fill us in what's going on
1: yeah I guess the place that we could start is is exactly at that point which was you know I was in undergrad at at Gettysburg uh, and um, I had just I had started making content sort of in the midst of of college Um, I, I wasn't super public about it and I was you know one of those guys who was just helping their friends to lift because I was a failed athlete and uh you know I think a lot of failed athletes just turn into power lifters or what they you know I never competed or anything like that but I always enjoyed powerlifting um I, and I specifically enjoyed helping people who were slightly weaker than I was powerlift you know I never really asked anyone who was particularly strong to uh uh to be to be my athlete or anything like that but um what i started to notice was that i could help the people who um you know were maybe in that weaker than me category and and you know getting them stronger but i didn't really have the skill set to to work with athletes who were stronger and to me that would have been much more you know interesting um at least and and what I found over time was a way to basically start to help those people, uh, which wasn't really in the um, category of strength or, or performance necessarily. It was more so in the in the injury space. So um, I kind of worked my way, just being someone who liked to powerlift, into the you know the sort of pseudo PT space. I think you know for those people listening, there's kind of this bubble, at least in the social media sphere, that's like it's not really physical therapists putting out content, but it's kind of like in between trainer and physical therapists who are helping people. Maybe that physical therapy hasn't been able to help at least traditional physical therapy. And so I kind of fell into that space just, um, just by coincidence. And, um, you know, that was really my, my introduction, at least to diving super, super deep into the education stuff. I had always been interested in, you know, anatomy and 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 biomechanics prior to that point, just by virtue of my interest in lifting. But up until that point, I never really was tied to it from uh from a value standpoint. I never I never thought that I could turn it into something that people would would value, you know, financially. Um and, and so from that point, I think, you know, that was really my where I started in terms of my introduction to the education stuff was basically just, hey, you know, I'm hurt, other people are hurt. Uh, how can we work around this, and how can we find ways to, you know, continue to do the things that we like in the gym? Um, and you know, sort of, there was a lot going on while that was happening in, in undergrad and uh, before that as well. Um, I worked with a bunch of athletes at my college. I was an intern in the SNC program. Really didn't like that um, for a number of different reasons. The main one being that they, you know, a lot of athletes just don't like to lift, you know, especially if they're college athletes, they're there to do their sport. They don't like waking up at 5 a.m. to uh, to do conditioning sessions with yours, with yours truly. So, um, you know, I avoided the sports specific scene and then when I, you know, started working toward uh, uh, uh graduating i kind of just continued down that route and eventually i found myself more so uh you know leaning into the hypertrophy realm when i started to uh, i think become a little bit more um i guess nu- just nuanced in my opinion you know somewhat happens naturally when you gain experience but i think the more knowledge that you accumulate in any particular realm the more that you realize that um you know especially with something like physical fitness and biomechanics there's just so much overlap between you know, this system and that system and and this method and, and that model. Uh, and so I started to just explore every single model that I could because eventually with certain people, you know, I would run into um Uh, roadblocks, I would run into situations that I just couldn't figure out. And that's, I think, led me to the sort of model or paradigm, if you want to call it that, um, that I've arrived at now, which is basically just taking a much more, I think, broad scopes approach to to fitness and specifically, um, you know, injury and pain mitigation in the gym. And that's kind of where I find myself now being most interested in is basically like, how can i work with people who really like to lift whether they be bodybuilders or powerlifters and how can i allow them to continue to get stronger and bigger all the while being pain free and jacked um and i and i think that you know part of that responsibility is the responsibility to work with trainers um you know so your impact and i think you know can only be so big if you're working with people one on one or even if you're just putting out general content i find that um you know at least just with the trainers that I've worked with, they've been able to make some, you know, very, very simple changes to their training, their clients. And and so that's kind of where I found myself now is just in this sort of middle ground floating around, helping whoever can help other people or just helping people directly um, all as it relates to, to lifting. So that's kind of where I'm currently at in the, in the education specific realm.
0: There's a lot to pull from that. I think the, I think the question I would have first is like, as you were transitioning through this, um, path towards education, what were some people or courses or things that you looked into or participated in that helped to shape that nuanced approach? Because that that to me speaks volumes because I don't think enough people pay close enough attention to having a large toolbox. They find something they like, they create this emotional attachment to this system or this framework of thought And it immediately keeps them in a box and they can't progress out from there, regardless of how many fringe cases they run into. Whereas someone like, you know, I I think of, I'm not going to drop names, but there are coaches that I can speak to where I know exactly what they're going to prescribe an athlete. They don't, I don't even have to look at the athlete. Or I have someone who has a very wide breadth of knowledge, has had potentially many, coach- many coaches over their years of competing or training, has also taken a number of courses in different areas. Their toolbox is very broad. The, the type of lifter that they can work with is very broad, and they just have a tool for every job. How What what gave you this notion that like maybe I shouldn't attach myself to one thing?
1: <laughs> well, first of all, it took me a long time, uh, but I was happy that I was kind of taught that lesson by virtue of my own failures with people. Um, I would say that, you know, I've taken almost. I've taken, you know, I'm hesitant to say this, but I, I feel like I've taken almost every course imaginable as it relates to um you know, anything in the realm of like anatomy, personal training, basic physics, um, hypertrophy, powerlifting. Like I've, I feel like I've learned a lot from almost every, one and every course that I could get my hands on, but where it really started um, for me, especially in those early college days, when I was really, you know, delving deep into the pain rehab world was with the Postural Restoration Institute. So PRI, Mm -hmm. for those of you who who maybe haven't heard of it is the abbreviation that people commonly use. And, um, you know, it's a really, really helpful model for rehab specific rehab. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's most, it's mostly breathing based and I don't want to step too much out of my wheelhouse. And so far as, you know, what the, um, what the paradigm really says about, you know, human movement. But what I would say is that that was a really, really, um, I think unique introduction, uh, to, to learning about this stuff. I don't, I don't know a lot of people in this, you know, whatever you call this space now that began learning from a model that is, that is so obscure to so many people, right? It's like, we're breathing into balloons and we're reaching in weird ways. And, you know, our, our conceptualization of the human body is almost unlike any other model that, that exists. And the crazy part was that it, that it worked, uh, or at least it worked for some people, some of the time for some amount of time um and you know I I ran with that for for quite some time and I and I felt like I had a lot of success with it with the people that I worked with even really you know strong people I know you yourself have um have delved at least somewhat deeply into that model and, and applied it and have probably seen success in yourself and others and maybe you still use it with some people when when the time is appropriate um but that was my introduction and you know where I really found that that ended up being limited was with specifically like very specifically higher level bodybuilders um there were a lot of powerlifters um especially the uh, the hashtag natty powerlifters that really got a lot out of the you know the drills that came as a product of the you know the PRI prescription um but i just found that the bigger and stronger the person the less that um you know those kinds of drills uh, ended up working or at least uh you know in in really on any timeline but especially the the chronic one
0: it's funny um, uh, it's funny you mentioned that sorry to interject but I mean yeah so I have I have dove in quite a bit the coach that I currently have Danny Martina uses some pri strategies with me and does them effectively with a lot of very large individuals but when you look at the breathing drills that we are doing or the types of movements that we're doing while integrating breath. They're completely different or heavily modified from Mm. the ones espoused by, by PRI simply because we can't get into those positions. And I'm not like, I'm a (laughs) a big, I'm a big dude. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not like Ethan or, or, you know, a, a pro level bodybuilder physique, but at 250 pounds, five, nine, there are just certain positions I can't get into and then breathe. Mm-hmm. So manipulating those positions, even applying load in certain positions, um, has been actually for me tremendously effective in relieving my pain and improving my quality. But again, with Danny, I know for a fact that she has her PRI framework that she works off of, but she's also an Olympian-level physique competitor and an elite-level powerlifter. So has the other tools in her toolbox to modify the approach. And yeah. so, sorry to interject. I just thought that was really interesting that you mentioned that because I see the parallel there in a lot of the content you put out for hypertrophy, where there's modifications to movements that you're implementing that maybe the you know hashtag natty lifter may not need because they're not they don't have 58 inch shoulders and can't fit into a lat pull down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and what I would also say is. I just kind of a disclaimer, I think a lot of people uh, who move into and out of the PRI specific space, uh, give it a bad name. And and I myself have probably been guilty of this as well. Um, You know, to say things like, oh, you know, the model is stupid, or the model is wrong, or the model doesn't work. It's like, first of all, the model was designed for like, People in rehab, rehab, like people right. who, you know, get dizzy standing up and, you know, need some sort of visual aid, or people who literally can't get out of a chair, uh, you know, because you know, they have XYZ contractile deficit and whatnot. And, you know, the the breathing stuff is if if I took anything away from that model as a whole, it was just the the really deep understanding of um you know the inhalation and the exhalation stuff and how that sort of combines with paired joint actions and different you know how that sort of accelerates the process of people learning positions and all that stuff. So, um, you know, from, from the PRI stuff, I, I dove more deeply because I was particularly frustrated with the the lack of progress and in, in bigger folks is I, I looked to people who were bigger and I was like, okay, who's bigger and who's kind of talking about this stuff. And that's what led me to pre uh, initially. And that's how I met Jordan and, you know, all the associated guys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I took one of their courses and I sort of bounced from there to a bunch of different places, just to kind of name a few, like, um, you know, I dove deep into the N one model. I I went out mm. to Colorado and I and I took a seminar with Cass. Um, you know, from there I found Tom and RTS, and you know Tom was sort of sprinkled along all of this is you know throughout the whole process of discovering more people and. You know, those have been some pretty big influences on me, and and from all of those different uh, models or paradigms, whatever you want to call them, I felt like I've come to a really solid position to be able to really parse out uh, not only what is useful and what isn't for me, um, but just I, I feel like along the way I've gained an ability really to think for myself, and I think that that's something that takes a very long time for people to be able to come to. And it's one of those things that's cliched because you hear people say it, like, oh, think for yourself. But I think at a certain point you kind of have to be an imposter. You kind of have to be a copycat. You kind of have to regurgitate information before you can truly understand and apply it. And I think that people putting that kind of thing down is part of the problem with, you know, people learning in the first place is they say, you know, and you know, this is maybe something that's slightly tangential to this but i think it's i think it speaks to the bigger issue around just a lot of the uh, problems that that social media creates for people is people fall into these tribes and these camps and it makes it uh, i think for a lot of people very intimidating or at least less accessible to be able to dive into these models in a way that doesn't feel threatening or scary or you know you, you you want learning environments that allow you to feel like if you screw up or you know, if you regurgitate something and you say it's slightly wrong, you're, you, you want to feel comfortable enough to where, you know, you can kind of experiment with different things and you can, you know, commit to a model and, you know, eventually discover the parts that you find useful and the parts that you find um, like a waste of time. And, you know, you come out of, of all that time you've spent in those models with something new and something uh, most likely that you hadn't thought about before. And to me, it's like, whether you call the whether you call that process a success or a failure, insofar as you continuing to use the model or not, I think is irrelevant. I think it's just, you know, as you mentioned earlier, it's like this this consistent process of of adding tools to your to your toolbox and then finding you know which circumstances and in and, and what scenarios those tools are are appropriate. And so, you know, if some point in the future, uh, you know, my mom for, you know, when she's 80, can't stand up out of a chair, it's like I, I kind of know where to go with that. Uh, which is a very different situation for me working, you know, with my with my training partner who's, you know, my height, six foot and uh, maybe 5'11", uh, and uh, 300 pounds, right? So, you know, I I have no regrets insofar as learning certain things and moving Ooh, on dude. from them in a way. Um, I, I, I feel like the the more that I have failed and gotten wrong, the more competent that I've become and the better I've become at troubleshooting problems and helping people with problems I haven't seen before. Um, So I regret none of it certainly. And I, and I'm really grateful for being exposed to all of those things that I can now say are, are just tools, um, you know, like anything that I currently use more.
0: And I, I, there's a lot to parse out there. The first one being, you got better by doing, you got better by applying. And I think where that's where the rubber meets the road for me with a lot of coaches, they are afraid to do, they are afraid to try, they are afraid to fail. Um, yep. They're looking for this perfect model, perfect exercise, perfect scenario. Because I feel as though there's a lot of ego involved and there's also a lot of ex- like external noise involved with the social media space where people are afraid to put something out there, realize they were wrong and have to backpedal because that could potentially affect their credibility. Hmm. Whereas for me, when I look at it, uh, like from as someone who like I've been coaching for 17 years and I look at the programs that I wrote when it's 17 years ago like very heavily Poliquin influenced then I look at the programs I wrote like 12 years ago it was like West Side and Joe DeFranco and uh, you know Zach Evanesh. and I look at the programs I wrote after that and after that and after that and it's been this evolution until the point where now none of my clients programs look the same all of them are a mishmash of different ideas that i've had and I've, I've tested over time and i've developed my own framework so when i hear you someone who may be you know 10 or 11 years my junior talk about how how they've made mistakes and done the education and had paradigm shifts all i think of when, and when i hear that is i cannot wait for the next 10 years for you and what you become Because if you're already so open minded to these ideas, I can only imagine what you'll create or develop in the future, where maybe you develop your own model of, of human anatomy that you can share with others and share your framework. Because regardless of what type of education that you go through, you, you said you don't regret it. Fuck no, you shouldn't regret it because your toolbox is so much bigger now. Mm-hmm. And you're so much more open to different, different questions that you may not have understood as questions before. Mm-hmm. And oh, I yeah. just, I love, I love to see that. I love to well, see
1: that. Yeah, I, pre- I, I definitely appreciate that. Um, and you know, I think I've been lucky in many ways to kind of end up in in the position that I've ended up in, which is basically just a position where I can. Comfortably experiment, and I think that's one yeah. of the most in, important things or places to arrive at. Um, and you know, you can see very clearly in the way that I think people communicate information. Um, and this was certainly me, maybe even a year ago, two years ago, and maybe still unknowingly now. Which is, people, I, I feel like people often communicate information as if they're being threatened. You know, yeah, um, <laughs> yes, and it's and it's like, listen, man you know, I take this more seriously than anyone I know and, or at least as seriously. And I understand that it's, you know, we need to, we need to not take it so seriously. Sometimes it's just like, let's, let's just chill. We're talking about what we like to talk about. Um, and I, I just, there, there used to be so much more gravity to it than there is for me now. Um, and you know, some, somewhat of a tangent, but I think it's an important, um, message to give. And also, uh, credit where credit is due i saw um i saw tom purvis in in person in oklahoma um how many months ago now i don't even know when that was uh, i think june maybe or, or earlier and this was the first time that i met him in person i had obviously been consuming his material for years at that point and um you know it was just me and five other people ethan my training partner one of them and i was expecting you know it was this nine day uh, intensive and i was expecting to to get a lot of answers. Um, you know, I was expecting to show up and to just be talked at and lectured at, uh, for, for, you know, seven hours a day, nine days straight. And what I found was there was actually, and I think this is some people find this frustrating about Tom specifically is he had this very conversational tone and it was a tone that just exuded absolute confidence, not in like a a cocky or, um, a, a, a contrived way but more so a tone that was just like very understanding of of my position and the position of the people around me the other students and just knowing and 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 creating an environment where um, again that that ability to be comfortably wrong was like the most important thing and you know I was expecting a situation where you know I'd ask a question and there would be basically an answer that I could just listen to and copy down on a piece of paper and have forever. And and what I found being the opposite was basically just like he was totally comfortable telling me that he didn't know or that he wasn't sure or that he was uncertain. And that made me feel very comfortable almost immediately to be like, you know, I'm not sure about this thing, like, let's just try. And, and so that was the biggest thing that I think I took away from that, that nine days with him, was basically like, okay, here's this guy who's been, you know, uh, going around the world, giving, you know, uh, seminars and teaching people, but since before 10 years before I was born and, you know, and, and here he is in his sixties, um, uh, talking to someone who has a fraction of his experience as if we are on the same intellectual level. And, you know, that was something really admirable and something that I really hope to kind of embody and, uh, continue to pass on because that was a very, um, new experience for me. It was the first time where I felt like um, someone wasn't talking down to me, they were just talking with me. And so I think if there's, you know, anything to be learned about learning, it's that, you know, the, the the most competent people, the people that have been doing this the longest with the most amount of success, those are the people that, you know, although they are comfortable giving lectures and, you know, teaching material, they're also going to be the same people that just tell you that, you know, they're, they're okay with not knowing something and that's why they love to do what they do. So, you know, for me, in terms of the the learning stuff, that has been the biggest uh, influence on me.
0: Well, I mean, if that isn't a, a testimony for Tom Purvis, I don't know what is like that, <laughs> but that, that yeah. speaks to the quality of educator that he is. And that's something that I try to embody myself in that I want to provide people with better questions rather than answers. Yeah. And I think when you, when you apply that philosophy to your education strategy and make people think for themselves and apply the knowledge that they inherently have or that they are learning from you in the process, that's how you integrate it into your practice. Um, there is one piece that I wanted to pull out there, out of there in terms of a conversation I had with a friend of mine recently, and I feel as though in this day and age, we have to have an opinion. Whether it's about a social issue or a training issue, we have to have an opinion. And if you don't have an opinion, it's seen as either weak, avoidant, uncredible. Whereas I look at it as if I don't have an opinion, that means I'm open to ideas and I'm open to change and I am open to experimentation. There are very few things in this world that I have a firm opinion on. Like we should probably drink water. It's probably good for us. <laughs> but if you asked me 10 years ago, does every athlete needs to need to squat? Like fucking right. Every athlete needs to squat. Now my answer is it probably would be beneficial, but what that squat looks like is probably going to be different for every, a- every person based on the context in which we're applying it. And this falls into the conversation of what is functional and what is not functional, which I know you've been diving into, Uh, quite a bit lately Uh, so with all that in mind and the nuance I think it's a great great way to segue into what is a modern meathead Ooh,
1: I think I think the most direct definition for for the modern meathead is whatever you imagine a meathead to be just that but someone who reads you know (laughs) <laughs> you know what i mean like someone who is a meathead that reads uh, a meathead that um in a little bit more of a serious way uh um you know cares deeply about the why a meathead that cares to understand um the x's and o's behind what they're doing uh, and and you know the person who is never satisfied with the amount that they know all the while knowing that, um, you know, they will never get to a point of, you know, completion in, in their intellect. So I feel like the modern meathead is is just the meathead that is really open-minded and, and prioritizes their learning, mm-hmm. um, which I think, to be honest, it could just be the, you know, the selection bias of my scope and my audience. But I do feel like I, I'm seeing more and more and more people Move in this direction of like, oh, you can, you know, you can get jacked and you can be jacked and you can actually, uh, you know, give a shit about your learning and and you can um, and you can learn enough to the point where you can teach other people and you can help other people, um. So just that you know, the knowledgeable meathead. Uh, that doesn't mean that I think that you know people who our traditional meatheads are, are dumb or stupid. Uh, it's, it's more so just, um, you know, a sort of branding way to describe what I'm trying to get people to lean in the direction of more than it is a, a very specific person or archetype, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, it totally makes sense. I love, I, I, when I saw the branding, I was like, this is, this is awesome. It's, <laughs> it's like, I, 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 I struggle again. Like this is the perfect embodiment of what we see in like the camps right so there's the meatheads that we associate with you know just grungy hard-nosed training there's like ridiculous amounts of strip sets and steel plates and rusted bars and like that kind of intensity quote unquote Mm -hmm. and then there's the modern lifter who trains at three rir and only (laughs) uses externally (laughs) stabilized exercises and you know might sweat maybe not you know, I think of the branch Warren on the one side yeah. and then like the Mike Isriatel on the other side. Right. Like sure, sure. Two, and then, but this happy medium of just cause you train with intelligent exercise selection and, you know, a bit more of a nuanced approach to execution doesn't mean you can't train hard. Mm-hmm. And that to me is, probably the the middle ground that everyone needs to dive into and say listen swinging weights around it obviously works because there's guys that got big swinging weights around training at three rir dexter jackson you know guys like uh even sean roden these are dudes that never trained to failure yet were mr olympia two guys on opposite ends of the spectrum probably best to to stay in the middle mm. and get the best of both worlds am i wrong
1: yeah and, and well, well yes yes you're you're absolutely right and i find that you know the way that i would conceptualize it is i felt like i couldn't train i was one of those people that you know at the time I looked at this as a curse and now a blessing I was one of those people who could never train hard without some bad shit happening um and so you know to me it was like every time I really pushed the the train hard button I was I was running into this this weird wall that was like a peck tweak on this week um an adductor you know a partial tear on the next week um which I'm sure you've probably experienced both of those things, um, you know, to some degree, uh, you know, labral tears from, you know, my football, uh, my, my football career, my short lived. Well, not it wasn't that short. It was like 12 years, but, you know, uh, shoulder issues sort of manifesting in my lifting and not knowing what to do about that. Right. It was, it was basically me, me trying to train hard and not being able to be in a place where I could continue to, it was like my favorite thing, you know, in, in the world, um, especially as I you know, stopped playing sports, that that was kind of my athletic drug. And, you know, when I couldn't do that, I was I, I didn't know what to do with myself. It was it was part of my identity. So, you know, for me, it was really like this, this um, the sort of creation of the modern mean head uh, a concept was something that came about for me by necessity. Like it was just like I had to find the solution to not being able to train hard. And being in a position now where I feel like I can, you know, just every single day, you know, five days a week that I left, I can just take it to the house and just like, kill myself. And, you know, I've been I've been injury pain free for the last how many years, two, three years. Um, and it's just been the most um, gratifying thing. And to be able to to do that for other people that that were in my, uh, you know, place, they, they they say that you should you know, treat yourself as, as sort of the, the, um, the ideal customer or the ideal archetype. It's like, that's who I'm making content for is I'm making content for the person that like me, um, you know, love training, but, but simply couldn't sustain, you know, training for any amount of time or, or, or within any session. So I absolutely think that's right. And, um, you know, that's, I guess I hadn't really thought about it that way necessarily before, uh, uh, in welcome. terms of just my specific, yeah, thank you. My specific story. So now I can just, now I know exactly what to say on the next podcast when someone asks me, you know,
0: There you go. I'll send you the invoice. No big deal. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> you got my info.
0: Um. So we talked a little bit about social media and I think, I think bringing it back to that is, is important because in this day and age, if you want to have an online business, you have to have an online presence and it's somewhere where I think a lot of people struggle to figure out what that actually means for them. And you've really carved out this this niche for yourself and this routine of posting and this style of posting that is unique to you, that's gotten you a ton of traction and really allowed you to bring your message out to the masses. I'm wondering, was it something like, I know you've had a lot of influence, I say the word influence, but it's more so like people helping you, like guys like Pat Davidson and, and, uh, you know, helping you build your social media or your monetization strategy, so to speak. Um, Can you dive in a little bit into like what social media was for you initially and how you started leveraging it to to build your business?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, initially it was kind of just something that I was doing for fun. Um, My brother was the person to initially tell me to um, tell me to start posting fitness content because at the time this was in high school, I was, I was using social media like a normie, as they say, and uh, <laughs> not as a content creator, just as a consumer. Um, and I had I just never considered it. And fitness was such a big part of my life. You know, my brother said something along the lines of like, it would be it would be weird and, and sort of deceitful in a way for you not to be posting fitness content. So that's kind of when it, when it started for me and, you know, through the years, I just, I just kind of looked at it more and more like it was a, like it was a video game. I think people, I think, I think where people start to not necessarily go backwards, but at least not go, you know, not progress in the, in the realm of social media is when they start to take it too seriously. Mm -hmm. Um, just at least for me, that's where I've seen. That's where I've seen um, big amounts of, I guess, uh, audience reach or bigger amounts of audience reach. And where I've seen less is like the the more fun that I was having with it. Um, two things. The more fun that I was having with it, uh, the more that I felt like people resonated with whatever I was saying, you know, whether, you know, people, people who give advice about social media generally refer to that as like authenticity or, you know, build your own sort of individual brand. You are the sort of N of one in, in your category. And I, and I think that's true. I often think it's just communicated in a cliched way. I think the I think the more uh, genuine way to communicate it is like, if if you're having fun and you're doing what you think is, is true to you, whatever that happens to be, um, you know, I I think there's going to be a a certain uh, percentage of the population that's going to, to resonate with that. So that's number one. And then number two is it leads to, uh, much higher rates of, uh, adherence to social media. So much like anything else, diet training, um, any, anything related, it's just like, how can you find a way for this thing to be something that you are consistently doing. Uh, I, I find that so many people uh, look for the perfect content strategy, the perfect way to deliver their message, uh, all the while not you know, posting on a daily basis. And to me, it's like, for the last four and a half years of my life, I've posted something every single day without fail. I don't think that there's ever been a day in the last four and a half years that I haven't put something out. And you know, people look at that as like, um, or or re- really, that's the that's the kind of thing I think that people don't see, and what they do see is just you know the the bigger growth spikes, and you know mm-hmm. that whole idea, I'm sure. Um, but just in regard to in regard to kind of the the story and continuing with the story, um, for a while, like I said, it was just something that I was doing for fun, and by that I just mean that I wasn't getting paid through uh, that. I didn't have a business at the time, and you know, the more and more that, uh, you know, my account was growing, which, you know, at that point relative to the amount of followers that I had was was pretty big for me, um, you know, the more that I realized that like me- meeting people is it was super important, um, whether it be in person or just finding a way to communicate with them and collaborate with them online. Um, so collaboration became a much bigger deal uh, in terms of, you know, not only just creating content together, but just like getting to know people like you would in any other area of life. It's like not too much of a surprise that when you start to get closer to people uh, and and you start to get to know them on a personal level, they start to do things for you without their, their asking. So a lot of that started to happen when I, when I uh, moved into New York and, You know, as you mentioned, Pat was someone who to me at the time was particularly influential in, um, you know, that initial process. And then from there, I just I started to meet more and more people and, um, you know, it it becomes a kind of exponential thing from that point. So um, I think it's very important for people, at least who are who are just starting to look to create content. Um, for them to find a way to make it enjoyable, just in and of mm-hmm. itself, as if you're not doing it for any sort of financial game. and And, and still now, what I realize in myself is, uh, you know, if 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 post a does very well and post a is like, you know, just just going off, followers coming in, good response. And then the next day post B goes up and it's like, uh, you know this piece of shit performance and zero reach, and no one likes it, and no one saves it. I end up getting, uh, I end up realizing that in that instance, if I if I ever do feel a particular way in terms of like any sort of negative emotion mm-hmm. coming up as a product of that, I'm I'm pulling myself away from the original reason that I was doing it, right, for just yeah, to fun. to have fun and and to provide value. And so it's it's a very good reality check for me, social media, and I've learned to use it, and I think in a way that has become actually, on average, a net positive. You know, a lot of people are poo pooing it, but I feel like the way that you're able to interact with social media is just a reflection of you know what sort of is currently going on in your brain and 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 sort of uh, how you navigate the rest of your life. So for me, it's like the more that I, the more that I recognize those reactions in myself. Oh, this post didn't do well. E- even if it's like getting particularly excited about a post doing well, you know, it reaches a million people or whatever. Um, to me, it's like if I get super excited about that, there's also probably an issue with that. So for me, it's like it's a really good way to actually make it more sustainable because it's like this 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 fun house mirror as people refer to it. Yeah. Um and so I can actually, you know, I that's another maybe um uh, reason, in addition to the having fun thing that I think uh, it's, it's actually, it's actually valuable. So since then, it's kind of just been more of the same over the, over the course of the last couple of years, just connecting more and more, you know, uh, going down to Florida meeting the guys at raw and, and, and Stuart and, get, um, you know, I haven't got to meet Chris in person, but um, you know, Chris is, is someone who has connected me with a lot of other people just via his uh, I guess stamp of approval, you know, on the, on the, on the modern meathead uh, stuff which was a very cool thing. Uh, and so, you know, I, I just continued to, um, to hope to do more of that and to continue to have fun and to use it as a tool to kind of make myself better rather than, rather than worse. So, so
0: are you the fitness meme Lord?
1: <laughs> I actually don't think so. I actually don't think so. I think that there are a lot of accounts that go harder on the memes than I do. Um, because like, you know I actually learned this recently that like the origin of the word meme was a Richard Dawkins thing and I don't know if yeah yeah um okay. I read this the other day um and this book it's a book on evolution um but uh yeah meme is actually just an idea It's like a representation of an idea. Uh, But up to this point, I was like, oh, a meme is this very specific, you know, image on social media that does a certain thing that communicates something a certain way. So it's only until recently I actually knew like the technical definition of the word meme, which I'm guessing is most people are also in that boat. Yeah. Um, But no, I I, I don't think that I am. I think that uh, the memes were definitely something um, (laughs) that helped the popularity um, which was something I actually forgot to mention was that was just another iteration of each. Uh, yeah. Just me. Cause eventually it was like, I'm kind of bored of this. Like what's a way, what's some way that I can spice it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that happened to be the, the entry point for spicing it up for me. And I've kind of stuck with that since memes are popular because that people like sharing them, you know? Um, so I think if there's any maybe more technical piece of advice that I could give to someone who is uh, looking to get into the content game is, you know, at at every single point, you know, for me personally, I like to post a bunch of slides. That's just like what I like to do. Reels are reels are fine specific to Instagram, especially because you can repurpose them on, on other platforms. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to Instagram in in particular, which I think of all the social media platforms, maybe other than YouTube is like the highest return on investment platform, Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like, you know, follower to financial gain ratio, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have found that the slides work well because you have 10 opportunities to uh you know to resonate with someone right like you have a, a total of 10 different ideas ways that you can put something phrases that you can use for someone to read it and be like oh this is this is something that I really like this is something that I want to share like I'm sure people have this experience where, you know, when you share something, like when you add something to your story to, to put it out to other people, it's not really like this process, this like mental process that you have to go through. It's kind of just like, oh, that needs to be shared. Like, that's just something that like, boop, you you click two buttons without thinking about it, and it goes up. So Mm -hmm. the more that you can kind of, um, you know, the more opportunities that you have to expose someone to an ability or an opportunity to do that, to me, the better. And, you know, putting up 10 different pictures and saying similar things 10 different ways is like uh, a strategy that I have found useful in in being able to do that. So the memes have definitely become a, a sort of uh a a part of me in some sense uh which i'm both happy and upset about but you know we it is what it is we are where we are and it's still fun for me so i'm still gonna i'm still gonna do it you got
0: it you got it then why are you so misunderstood why why are you just such a misunderstood young man in this world of social media I actually don't think I'm misunderstood.
1: I think I'm just not understood at all. You know, it's kind of like it's it's kind of it's it's and and I don't even mean that in the way that it probably comes off. Uh, I I more so just mean it in the way of like I f- I forget who um I forget who originally said. I think I I originally heard this from from Jordan um uh, uh prescript Jordan. He said something like, "If you you know if you don't uh, if you don't have my number." or something like that, like your opinion doesn't matter to me. I get what he's saying with that. Like I get the message. Right. Um. But to me, it's like all of the communication in terms of the, you know, both the positive and the negative, and I'll contextualize that in a second, both the positive and negative information that I get on social media, I try to take now with a grain of salt and understanding that these are, these are people, although they are supporting me, they don't actually, they don't know me as a person, right? I'm, I right. am, I'm, I'm akin to an object, You know, in their house, I'm as valuable to them. I'm probably less valuable to them than their than the phone that they're holding, in in some ways, right? Um, What I don't sort of lump into that category is when like someone will message me and say, "Oh, this thing that you recommended really worked," or you know, I had pain for six years and I took your course, uh, and and from what I learned now, I'm able to navigate my lifting and I don't have pain, right? Those those kinds of things are much more real and representative of like the things that I'm trying to do. But anything, anything that falls into the category of personal, whether it's like, Oh, you're such a good guy. I'm like, how would you know that? Right. Or, Oh, you're (laughs) such a terrible guy. You know, you're, you're a know-it-all you're a piece of, you're, you're a piece of shit. Like, how would you know that either? Um, so I try much much in the same way that I try not to react positively to a post doing well, which is very hard to do. I try not to react negatively to, or positively to anything that anyone says to me on any personal level, unless it's, you know, through a conversation like this that I'm having with someone, um, but the funny thing is that, and and you hear a lot of people who are just in the public space via social media say this. They're like, "Yeah, it's really weird." Like, I get a lot of hate online, but everywhere I go, and you know, everyone I meet in person is like, it's a totally pleasant, you know, experience. Which I understand to some degree. Like those people who are speaking negatively of you probably still feel that way when they see you in person, or and you know, just aren't willing to say that. And that to me is like what reality is. So I think that much in the same, much sort of in the, in the same vein is like. When I was saying, um, you know, you can't take it too seriously, yeah. um, that, that's another reason not to take it particularly seriously. It's just people lose sight of the fact that it, it actually isn't life. It's actually just a um, a representation of what some people want life to be. Uh, and I think that that ends up, you know, much in the same way that reacting positively or negatively to content. Um, I, I think that ends up um, messing with people's heads in a pretty profound way and, and in a way that we don't really realize uh, in, in those moments.
0: I think that speaks to the point you made that I laughed at earlier about how people's interactions online mirror their life situations. Mm. So when your reactions to online, for lack of a better word triggers you and you're in a situation where someone is challenging something that you feel may, like you feel very insecure about whether it be your point of view on a certain subject or maybe an idea that you hold very highly and someone is coming at you with evidence to support the alternative perspective and you have rooted your entire life within this one thing and now all of a sudden it's wrong or it's not as correct as you thought it would be you're immediately going to lash out and i see it all the time cuz i do i do work with a lot of young coaches on their business and it's they see they see social media as this thing that like triggers them or makes them feel a certain way about what they're doing But if you take an approach that you can only convey a message in 90 seconds, how do you convey a a nuanced message in 90 seconds that's going to give all the information and all the context about it to the the audience? It's borderline impossible. So what do you do? You take an approach that's somewhat inflammatory at the beginning. You sneak in a little bit of nuance at the end. You write a caption that no one's going to read, and then you post it. There you go. That's the formula. That's the formula right there. I can be an influencer tomorrow. Thank you very much. Um, That's just like that jumped off, jumped right out of the conversation to me is like, we our reactions are always a reflection of our own selves. They're always a reflection of our own ego and insecurity. And if we can detach from that and realize that social media is supposed to be fun, it's supposed to be a way for us to add value for others. And if people don't necessarily want to hear the value that we're trying to provide, Well, if we're trying to run a business, we should probably figure out what value that they want. Or maybe you're looking at the wrong audience, Yeah, right? Like you said yourself on a couple of occasions that you kind of self-select for the audience that you're after. And I think anyone who does social media well targets their message towards that specific audience because that's the audience that essentially pays their bills, Mm -hmm. right? Mm
1: Yeah. And I also think to that point and and then one other thing that you said there that um I wanted to touch on. Um the that concept of um that concept of like client archetype or audience archetype, mm-hmm. I think originally I struggled with it a lot because I was like, how am I supposed to create this like imaginary person that I think that I'm going to help with a problem that I don't really know how to solve? And it took me a very long time to realize that like I it, at least in terms of what worked for me or what seems to have worked for me is that I was actually that person. And so I think that if you in your life have solved a problem and you've, you know done it through acquisition of of knowledge and application of that knowledge, then boom, you know there's your fucking target audience. You don't need to just, you don't need to like sit there and meditate on like this imagined person that you've never met or talked to or seen. It's like the answer, the answer is in front of you. And if, and if you've never had a problem that you've solved, well, then you should probably think just a little bit harder um, because most people have solved, you know, a problem in their lives.
0: If you haven't solved the problem in your life, you haven't lived. (laughs) There
1: there you go. Yeah, write that on a...
0: It's quite philosophical, but...
1: Write that on a painting, Jesus, Um,
0: there was one other
1: thing that you said there, but um what what was what did just repeat for me? Um
0: was it about how what, handsome I am?
1: Because I no, don't no. know that. It was it was after that. It was oh, after okay. that point.
0: Um uh, I talked about ego and the attachment of people to their points of view. Um Yes.
1: Yeah. So yeah, nice, nice, nice. That was a, it was a good um cohesive moment there. There you go. Um I find that, so So Ryan Holiday has this book, The Obstacle is the Way. Mm, um, great book. Yeah, great book. And um, it was so great that I asked my girlfriend to read it, and she did. So that was great, you know, just like wow. I mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, she just finished it, and she liked it. Um, but I think that that is, you know, the message of that book is essentially what we're talking about, which is, you can either look at social media as this plague on the earth that is, uh, you know, coming after you and it's, it's you know, hide your kids, hide your wife, or you can look at it as this opportunity to discover where you are failing uh, and failing in the sense of like where you are coming up short, because it will reveal to you very quickly uh, what those you know areas are. Um, you know be it you know comparison to you know to, uh, to other people and you know in a in a physical sense or an intellectual sense or any number of other things that you know can can put you in this like negative cognitive state so I, I just think for me it's been a really really important uh teaching tool to to discover stuff about myself and to and to be able to work through that uh and so I think that you know, if you do have that lens, if you do have that viewpoint of this is something that is inherently negative, I would I would ask, you know, you or the, whoever that person happens to be, um, you know, what is inherently negative about this app on your phone? Like, how could it possibly uh, uh, be inherently negative? It's 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 something that is, um, you know, it has no um, sentience, right? It's an app.
0: I'm going to bring this full circle because I think it's a fantastic way to 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 tie a bow on this thing is you just mentioned how social media could be a tool to find your weaknesses and you discussed how when you were coming up as a coach and and wanting to get into the education space you sought out your weaknesses and tried to make them strengths Mm. and I think that advice in and of itself is so valuable and it's something that I try to do with myself it's something that you know I've worked my wife is, is, is a coach as well and we have a couple a bunch of coaches on our team and we are all actively trying to figure out what we suck at and we want to know, we, we really ask our clients, what do we suck at? Because if we don't know what we suck at, we cannot get better and we cannot make, make progress. And if you treat every part of your business in the effort of looking at how shitty you are, that's how you're going to get better. Mm-hmm. So I, I love, I love that you, you tied that on. So I have a few quick hit questions that I ask yeah. at the end of the podcast. First one. Do you crack your egg on the corner of the pan or on no. the counter
1: on the fu- No, neither. Um, I cracked the egg in the pan.
0: How do you do that? Do you just throw it in the pan? So
1: I have, um, one of those stoves that's like, I don't know what the technical definition is. It's the one where the fucking fire comes up immediately. Oh, Like a gas stove. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets hot really quickly. Okay. Okay. So what I do is I turn, I turn the, um, I turn, I turn the gas on and I have a, my stick of butter. It's my Kerry gold, um, grass-fed butter. And it's, you know, yay long. And the mm-hmm. pan that I use is, is a perfect uh, size. Okay. Maybe this speaks to my uh, yep. biomechanical lens here where the diameter of the butter stick is actually the same as the pan. So I put the butter stick inside of the pan and I quickly, I quickly do a twist of the butter and it spins around and then I take it out. So it's just a light coat, right? Okay. And it's, And at that point, the heat isn't so hot, or the temperature of the pan isn't so high, such that the butter starts to like burn up or smoke or anything. It's just like this, this nice sort of flat coat. And then before it's actually hot, crack, 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 crack. I usually do four eggs when I eat eggs uh, directly in the pan. So not on the counter because that makes a mess. Not on the side of the pan because that also makes a mess. But right in the middle when it's not hot, but warming up. Such a fucking nerd.
0: (laughs) 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 Um,
1: uh, you're welcome now you're gonna do it
0: five dinner guests dead or alive you choose you plus five Ugh.
1: see it's really the it's really the question is like what kind of dinner do you want to have you know
0: oh that's up to you as well
1: yeah no but that's what i mean is that's how i'm interpreting the question oh yeah
0: yeah, Because to be honest,
1: that. I think like I think the t- the typical answer to this would be like, you know, you come up with like your five favorite celebrities or like people you admire intellectually, but you have no idea how they're going to clash, you know. So, you know, if I'm looking for a good dinner and five people, it's going to be uh, it's going to be me. Wait, five, including me or five others? You plus five. OK, me. My two brothers, my mom and dad and my girlfriend. <laughs> like that's the correct answer do you know what I'm saying
0: you're such like, a wholesome yeah. young man well
1: <laughs> I'm happy to hear you say that guilty
0: as charged <laughs> <laughs> why do you like restraints so much and do they extend outside of the weight room
1: oh my god This is something that I could, this is something I'm currently writing about. And I feel like I'm trying to make it an article, but it's going to end up being like a book of its own. I feel like
0: BDS Um, in the Weight Room.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. That would be a a catchy title, wouldn't it? It would be be fantastic. That would be a polarizing title. I don't think my mom would approve of that. So, Um, no, I would say so. so I've recently uh, made a, a slight transition to instead of like restraints, actually calling it you know, calling the concept of, of, of anchoring, you know, so much in the same way that a boat lays down, uh, an anchor, um, you know, mm-hmm. these implements that we touch and move up against in the gym are essentially, uh, you know, perform that same function. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that this is maybe, especially recently, as you, as you mentioned earlier, the whole functional movement, like this is the topic that I'm currently most fascinated by and interested in because it's still such a, um, such an emotionally driven conversation for people like this concept around like doing a free moving you know squat and like doing a hack squat it's like people people are are totally incapable of looking at these things just from the perspective of like okay what are the forces What are the forces that I'm encountering in this particular exercise, in this particular implement? And and like, what are the, one of the trade-offs in terms of what are the things that it's providing me and what are the things that it's taking away, right? Like there are so many instances in which both of those things have application, but for a vast majority of people, um, I, I think that a much better place to start and maybe potentially be forever is in a place where we are. Uh, thinking about using appropriate restraints and anchors uh, if you will to the spaces around us Um, and so this is definitely something that I'm you know uh, parsing out insofar as like how I want to approach the conversation because I think you know just talking about how stupid the functional movement is only gets me so far in terms of (laughs) communicating the information Uh, but I think the the very short summary and and sort of um, synopsis of this is basically just, you know, if we can, if we are able to take a very objective uh, you know, physics-based lens uh, to exercise and we're able to look at exercise uh, just as anatomy and its interaction with force um, then all of these uh, sort of, all all these sorts of dogmatic um, lines of thinking just, just sort of disappear. And all of a sudden there are just options that are more or less correct, depending on context.
0: You're asking people to open their minds. And that's a very challenging ask.
1: I can't. Yeah, I can't. I, I feel like in the last um, year, especially the thing that I've learned most, especially from social media, is that if an individual's brain is not in a, is not in a position to receive the football catch, they're not going to be in a position uh, to be able to even hear that information. Right? They're just like they're just these sounds coming at people who are, who had these like blockades of, of, uh, of ideologies, just sort of fending off, um, you know, their ability to, to catch anything, um, uh, intellectually. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So in terms of the life point though, about yeah. the restraints is like, I think creating restraints and anchorage, you know, in your life is also extremely important. I think people look at that. Uh, I, I think people look at that. Yeah. see this is like, it's funny because I have a few people in my life who are, who love like philosophical conversation and it always, I'm always just thinking about this stuff constantly. And, um, you know, to the people that don't really uh, like understand it, it sounds kind of goofy and like, I'm making fun of their point, mm-hmm. but it's totally serious. so in, insofar as like its application, um, and in this particular context, just like setting, setting boundaries and, and setting limitations on things is I think a, a, a huge, um, a huge piece to the puzzle of being able to move in a direction, right? Because if you don't define the boundaries of where you don't want to go, um, then it becomes infinitely more difficult to ever understand or even, or even know maybe where you are trying to go. So
0: man, you took my dirty joke into a philosophical conversation, but I can totally, (laughs) I can totally get behind it. I mean, I have a lighthouse tattooed on my arm for that exact reason. It's I, I, you have to be, you have to have a, you have to have some sort of guiding principles to take you to where you want to go. And Mm -hmm. uh, it does sound like yours are quite well-defined and just to have that at your age is, is incredible. Um, Last question. Who is a guest that you would like to see on this podcast with the caveat that you have to help me get them on the podcast? Uh, My training partner, for sure. Ethan. I think we can make it happen. Yeah. I I got to learn more about him.
1: Yeah, it's really complicated, but what I could do is I could send him a text and he'd be like, yeah.
0: Let me <laughs> guess, he doesn't even have an iPhone.
1: Uh, he has an iPhone, but it's one of those ones that still has one tiny camera. He has he has, you know the Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah, so he's if you don't never ask him to take a picture of anything. Um okay. you know, that, that, that's, that's something that you learn. Ethan,
0: do not ask to take a picture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Asterisk, all caps, uh, no pictures, no pictures available.
0: Dude, Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for the chat. Uh, You let people know where to find you.
1: Yeah. It's just my, uh, just my name on, on Instagram. It is everything through there. And um, this was definitely a highly enjoyable conversation for me. So thanks for having me on great questions. Great, great conversation. I'd love to, do it again sometime, or maybe we can get you on uh, my podcast at Dude, some point soon.
0: I would love that. I would love that. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, as always, this podcast is brought to you by Master Athletic Performance. If you'd like to work with myself or anyone on my team, please visit www.masterathletic.com and please visit coachescorneru.com. We're launching a few new courses in the coming months, and then we were always adding new content to the site. So come on, have a look and get educated. Thanks, Ben. Have a great day, guys.